You're listening to The Jay Barker Show on Tide 100.9 in Tuscaloosa. Hey, welcome in to Big Noon Sports, presented by Haley Sansing. Union Home Mortgage. Matt Coulter, longtime sportscaster and longtime writer and author. Lars Anderson going to bring you the show for the next couple hours. Lock it in and listen because we got a lot of good stuff headed your way. One of the quotes I read from last night after LSU's 18-4 win over Florida is, baseball's a strange game. <laughs> you can get plowed one day and the next day you can be the plower. Uh, that's just... It is strange, and that's a strange occurrence, um, especially at that level. And you'd think, in my case, Lars, that it might get, you know, a little bit boring. But I kept watching just for the intrigue of uh, they're going to hammer the Florida Gators like they hammered them the day before. But anyway, all said and done, Lars, did you go or did you stay? I stayed. I didn't make the trek over. I, I had a feeling it was going to be a blowout one way or the other. Uh, I really thought Florida was going to take care of business, but it just shows you the resiliency of this LSU team. And, you know, you have to remember that they they lost to the number one seed Wake Forest in just the second game of the World Series. So that meant that they had to win three in a row just to get to the final round. And they proceeded to knock out Tennessee in an elimination game. And they really did the unthinkable, and that was beat Wake Forest in back-to-back games. I mean, I'd really, it was my belief that Wake Forest was sort of a little, like, in a category by themselves heading into Omaha. But uh, LSU, they took care of business with the Wake Forest. And then last night, wow, um, their 24 hits were the most, were the most hits of any team that has ever participated in the men's college world series you know how many teams have participated how many different squads of players going back all the way through 1947 that's 592 592 oh, i was gonna say 93 592 different teams have played and lsu last night did something that's never been done and that was 24 hits and Man, they were just absolutely smoking the, uh, the 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 Florida pitchers, and and you know if if Florida could have thrown in the towel, if this had been boxing, <laughs> the towel would have been thrown in mercy right rule. after about. But yeah, man, they they really needed the mercy rule last night. I I did watch those final few innings, and it was it was it was a tough slog. But uh, yeah, what what are your thoughts of of uh, of LSU and just uh, the the entire uh, World Series. Some were calling it the greatest World Series ever. Uh, I don't know if I'd go that far, but um, uh, my buddy uh, has a story up on um, ESPN.com right now. Uh, Ryan McGee, who has been longtime College World Series guy, he's written a book about the College World Series. Uh, and he he uh, sort of falls in the camp that this was the greatest uh, the greatest uh, games ever played in one year in Omaha, and um, we'll see what the TV ratings were for last night. But yeah, I think overall it it just uh, a, a great uh, experience in Omaha. 
I think the key there is overall because when you have a 24 to 4 and an 18 4 uh, score in the final best of three, uh, that's not a great. That's not great. But it's not compelling baseball. It's not. I'm hanging around at the bottom of the ninth to watch this one. Game one was, but collectively over the course of the two weeks, it was great baseball. I think last count there were eight one-run games. That's a record. LSU was involved in four of them. That's a record. So, yes, from all the games played, I would say it's the best college World Series. The last three, not so much. But congratulations to Thatcher Hurd. He was the guy that Jay Johnson tabbed to start. We're all wondering whether or not Paul Skeens would come in, start, maybe come in in a relief role. And after the first two hitters just shelled Hurd, line drive single and then a two-run shot. After that, I'm thinking, and they started, I think, trying to figure out where Skeens was at the time, see if he was getting loose or whatever. I thought they were going to have to go to him a lot earlier than anyone anticipated. But then, over the course of the next six innings, Hurd retired 18 of 21 hitters did not allow a run or a hit, and he literally got them out of the 2 nothing deficit and headed well onto an 18-4 victory. So he's not the guy we would have uh, you know, been celebrating on the mound, we thought, because I really thought they were going to Skeens after um, Hurd gave up the two-run shot. That didn't happen. And what great managing by Jay Johnson. And tip of the cap to him. He's only in his second year at LSU, yeah. and that that's never happened, by the way. A uh, guy in his second year anywhere in the history of the College World Series to win it all. So there's another first since, what'd you say, 1946 when they started 47, yeah. 47. So uh, it's all good for LSU, and, and congrats. I kind of was pulling for them, but really just pulling for great baseball, and Let's see. If you added up the collective scores, let's see, 24 and 18, 42, uh, I'm not going to do the math on it, but it's it a was lot. a great World Series. <laughs> it's just in two days, uh, yeah. it's something like 50-something runs. Just uh, incredible baseball, and congratulations. And speaking of that, Robbie Glenn, who has been our spot-on spot on college baseball reporter all week will join us in about eight minutes and we'll talk to him as well but that's the way it goes yeah um you know lsu they weren't exactly you know tearing it up at the end of the regular season they started the season they were the preseason number one team in the country in the usa today coaches poll and they held that spot for the first 10 weeks but then they stumbled at the end of the regular season of going five and five. And then in uh, Hoover at the SEC tournament, they just went one and two. So again, it's not like they entered postseason play on a roll, but they, they certainly just put it all together. And, um, and you know, just uh, congratulations to them. The LSU now has won seven national titles, uh, first, their first since 2009. And that is the second most national titles of any Division I baseball program. Only trails USC, who has uh, 12 titles. Um, but, uh, yeah, just your, 
your thoughts just on LSU and and again this is team resiliency uh, the ability to come back after the shellacking and also just they 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 they, they struggled at the end of the regular season in the World Series, they got to win three in a row to get to the finals. They do that. Everyone's an elimination game. And then in the final elimination game, they really played their best game, both uh, pitching and and hitting. And the ability of uh, their starting pitcher just to – and really everybody on the team, once they fall down 2-0 in the first – you know, in the back of their minds, they got to be thinking, "Okay, here we go again." Yeah. But but it was the exact opposite because in uh, uh, on uh, on Sunday it was or sorry it was on yeah on Sunday in the first game uh, it was Florida it was LSU that jumped on top early and then Florida trounced them and then the exact opposite happened last night as uh, LSU goes on to win the national championship. But uh, yeah, your your thoughts just on. On, on this team and its resiliency. Well, that's it. You use the word uh, very accurately, resilient. Um, you know, when you get in a loser's bracket, there's the reason it's called the loser's bracket. It's because you've lost a game. You can't lose another one or losers are going back to Baton Rouge. And the way they fought back through that, and they had to beat Florida. And you mentioned they had to beat Wake Forest, best team in the nation, according to many. And, and rightfully so. I, I thought they were going to win the whole thing, too. But um, something about that Cajun attitude. And, you know, while the players have to have the heart, they have to have the want, and they do. But after what the ups and downs that they had in Omaha, my goodness, had, can, you, can you find a way to rally in your head and your heart? Yes, and I point to the guy in the dugout, and that's their manager, their coach. Jay Johnson just, wow, what an incredible job he did, Lars. How do you get your guys back up after a 24-4 shellacking? Uh, You know, a lot of times they've just thrown the bats in the rack and gotten on the bus, but that didn't happen, and I give LSU's coaching staff a whole lot of credit. You know, I I think that uh, it helped. One, it was such a beat down that the players almost could check out mentally during the game, right, and, and start to process it. And then the fact that it was a day game gave LSU more time to just to sort of, you know, get away from baseball just for a second or two and realize that, hey, it's just one game and this is now a one-game season. And what happened yesterday has absolutely no bearing on today, and that's the truth. And, um, yeah, they just did a good job of, of uh, moving on uh, from that absolute, like I said, uh, schlacking, beat down, whatever adjective you want to use. But, um, yes, uh, it was a good job. Good job by, by the players. And it's clearly, you know, a veteran team. It's a team uh, really on both sides of the, both sides of the in both dugouts, I should say, uh, just filled with major leaguers. I mean, everywhere you look, it's first like, oh, he, he, yeah, yeah, he's going to be the first pitcher taken. You know, he's going to be at first overall, and and um, and, and uh, yeah, so uh, high quality baseball in Omaha, and uh, and uh, and the LSU fans certainly represented well. Man, I, I, I just could not believe that uh, that this city. I didn't see any tri- blue or this, orange. I mean, there was, was very rare. little. 
Yeah, there was very little. And, uh, I mean, LSU, you can just tell. Like, there's a reason LSU is in this thing or is is LSU has such a great program. It goes back to the fan base. I, I truly believe that fan bases are what drives programs. And uh, and this the LSU fan base it really travels well, and um, you know, and they love their Jello shots. They they broke the uh, Jello shot challenge record at uh, Rocco's Pizza and Cantina by a long ways. Uh, you know, I think uh, you know those Jello shots, five dollars each, and uh, and what was the Florida, total? 50,000? 50, 50, something. It like was. That? Let's see. Last year, Ole Miss fans bought 18,000, and I believe LSU fans bought somewhere in the neighborhood of 50,000. I don't have the exact uh, total right in front of me, but it, it's uh, it's crazy how many Jello shots that they took for five dollars. And uh, I know that two dollars were uh, of each shot were were donated to the Omaha Food Bank. But still, that's a nice little profit for uh, Rocco's Pizza and Cantina. Yeah, especially when you consider the ingredients. <laughs> and I imagine they're probably not using Grey Goose in it, you? Probably no. Skull. <laughs> probably yeah. Skull or Aristocrat or something like that. Anyway, here is uh, true trivia trivia. Both LSU and Florida ended the season with 54 and 17 records. Throw that one at somebody. Never try and out drink a Cajun. Also, some more advice from Big Noon Sports. When we get back, we'll amp it up with our baseball talk, Robbie Glenn on Big Noon Sports. From T-Town to the Plains, this is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. 100.9 Tuscaloosa weather. Mostly sunny and hot this afternoon. The high today in the middle 90s, around 95. Fair tonight, the low 68. Tomorrow and Thursday, partly sunny both days, but just a few isolated storms around. The high tomorrow, 96. The high Thursday, 99. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 90 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Big Noon Sports, Matt Coulter, Lars Anderson, and our third co-host, at least for the last couple of months during baseball season, Robbie Glenn, former Alabama first baseman, joins us. Robbie, how about that game? How are you? Good to have you on again. Uh, yeah, it's good. Good being back on with you guys. Uh, yeah, I'm not shocked that it went that way. I'm, I'm disappointed it went that way, but um, I was hoping for a better game from Florida, but man, can't. Something about wearing that purple and gold with LSU. It's like being a Bama football player. You step out there, you expect to win a championship. So they did. They showed up. Yeah, and um, I, I, you know the the word that I kept using in our our first segment was resilient. Just the fact that uh, make to make it to the finals, they had to win three consecutive games uh, that were elimination games. And uh, it w- wasn't like LSU was on fire at the end of the regular season, losing five of their last ten, and then just going one and two 
in Hoover at the SEC championship. Um, what do you? What is it about this team? Like you know, they they're cap- they were capable, obviously, of playing great, but they were they struggled at times. Yet when it mattered most, they always turned it on. Robbie. Yeah, they, they did. And like I said, it's something about being an LSU baseball player. I, they, they turn it on when they have to. You got some great players on that team, and they showed up last night. I mean, uh, you know, it, go, it goes down to the coaching getting them ready, and maybe that blowout the night before helped. Like you said, they kind of checked out early, and, and I said, you know, they're going to forget it. they probably not even going to talk about it again because um, they're great hitters, and they came back out. But I also said that uh, I was worried about Caglione uh, pitching. His last outing was very shaky. He very couldn't find the strike zone, hit a lot of players, and what does he do this one? Same thing. I felt sorry for that leadoff hitter, which I was shocked that the coach put him there as a leadoff in front of Cruz. That was a – I would like to know why he did that, just to either put a guy in to maybe let Cruz drive a runner in, or did he see – Caglione having trouble throwing to lefties and put him in that first spot and he gets drilled first two times up he got he got hit hard <laughs> so yeah. I, I don't know what was going on but LSU just yeah they, they they come together and I think everyone in the lineup had a hit even their backup catcher that came in for the catcher that got hurt had a hit everyone in the lineup had a hit well that's how you end up beating the team 18 to 4 um <laughs> I, I give a lot of credit to, to two people, although it's a team game, certainly. But first is Thatcher Hurd. I thought they needed to go to the pen. They might have gone to the pen had it gotten worse. It didn't. And we'll insert the controversial call here in a minute. But um, Hurd was outstanding after giving up the two-run shot. He didn't give up a hit or a run. Oh, he did. He uh, like I think we were texting about that time, thinking we were going to see uh guys quick um her just settled down and got the confidence got a team behind him they got him a few runs so that helped but yeah he just got in control i think what seven strikeouts two walks but um he, he was impressive all the way through again in control of all his pitches uh the only thing he gave up was that first inning but again that was you're talking about langford the best player in college almost besides Cruz. those two are you know, arguably the two best players. And he got a hold of a pit and hit a two-run homer. But after that, that was it. Um, and again, back to Caglione, he's such a great two-way player. I hate that his pitching, I think, affected his hitting. He went 0 for 3 with three strikeouts, and he looked like, in his facial expression, he was down. And it, it had to be from his pitching. And you just hate that. That's the only thing about a good two-way player like that is, how you get rid of, you might not have it on the mound, but you can't take it to the batter's box or vice versa. And I think he did, and I hate it. Uh, yeah, you know, it, it seemed like he just completely lost all confidence. His his swing, he was up there swinging, and it was just like he was in defensive mode, it, it seemed to me. Um, but uh, just about Dylan Cruz, Robbie, uh, he wins the, the 2023 uh, Golden Spikes Award. Uh, he's going to probably be the number one pick in the draft. 
I didn't realize this, but he reached base in each of the Tigers' 71 games this season. <laughs> That's incredible. Goes four for really? six. It goes four for six with three runs scored in the final game. What what makes him such a special player, and, and how long do you think it will take him to reach the majors and be an everyday major player? Like, how long do you think someone of that caliber, how, how long does it take to work your way through the minor league system? Uh, everyone's different, um, but I, he, he is a special player. I mean, just the catch he made in center field, too, the running full speed, crashing into the wall, the, the triple, the speed he has. You know, I heard this stat about his eyes, that he see, he doesn't have a dominant eye. They both see the same, so he sees the ball well. And I didn't know that, that his stat that he got on base every time. That That's that's an amazing player. Um, yeah. you, know, you like to think he's going to move up the – move up in the minors quick but you know there's a lot of great pro players in the minors that don't ever make it you know i played with some joe vidiello back in the day he was probably the best player i've i've played with and just kept getting to triple a go up the bigs for a bit but back out on triple a and and just dominated but never got to get up in the bigs it's just the organization you go with and who's already there playing ahead of you is how you move up and you know i don't know what other positions he can play besides center i'm sure he plays a bunch um, but he was, it was something to watch. Like you said, what, four for six, and then that triple to end it. He scored from first base on a on a double. Just the speed he has. But uh, that does bring up, I don't know if y'all watched the rest of the game, but Joe Bear hit one. And I don't know who y'all think have the prettiest swing, but that he's got one of the prettiest swings from the left side and hit a monster bomb in the eighth inning. Yeah, I, did, I, I loved how he admi- I loved how he admired it too. He Good just held, he he <laughs> held that pose and uh, it was like uh, that was the, the the cherry on top. Yeah, that was I, I, Robbie. I thought the exact same thing. I'm like that guy's got the most beautiful swing since like Rod Carew, right? Like I just I love his yeah. swing. I had no idea that he that's, was uh, that good. That is funny you say Rod Carew because that, that's two of my favorite hitters of all time were Tony Gwynn, of course, and Rod Carew. But who had the prettiest swing? It's, you know, it always comes from the left side. I don't know what it is about left-handed batters. They got a pretty swing. But I think Ken Griffey probably had the prettiest swing I've ever seen. But last night, Joe Bear, that was a gorgeous swing. Like, and it was a bomb. A Will Clark and Stan Musial. Uh, those would be my oh, two yeah, guys. Yeah. Man, they had just great yeah, left-handed Will. swings. Uh, Will yeah, the thrill. He could, and he could hit the bomb too. Um, yep, I gave uh, I gave my other baseball star to Jay Johnson, and Lars used the word resilient because I think he just coached that. How many times were they out of it? You know, winning all these one run yep. games against teams like Florida and uh, against teams like Wake Forest. Uh, he's only been at LSU two years. That's pretty amazing in its own right, Robbie. Yeah, it really is. You know, to do something that. Molinari didn't do and skip but I mean he's just following in their footsteps too I mean that's some great leadership there with skip still around coach Bergman was awesome he's a, he's a great guy to talk to if you ever get a chance he is a baseball guru he knows some stuff um yeah that's good so I what, what's he gonna do next year now I mean he's he's already stealing some of our pitchers from Alabama and stuff I, I'm so sick of the trans, transfer portal and stuff that's a whole nother story I know it's a part of the, what we're dealing with, and that's how LSU got some players with transfer. And you're going to lose players, you're going to get players. I just hate it. Uh, 
I hate seeing some of our best players just leave. You know, I wish them all the best. I just don't like it. Um, yeah. Which players in, in specifically have left? Uh, you got Shelton was the big one, you know, third base. or that are, now if, if he's going back to Florida to be close to home, you know, he, he gave us everything he had. And I, I, I could see that. But if it was an NIL deal and wanted to go, I'm a, I hate it. You know, it's like, man, can't just come. If you're a junior or a senior and, and if you want to take an NIL deal to go somewhere instead of going pro, great. But as a freshman, I, I just hate it. But uh, uh, who do they? They got Cade uh, Woods, our pitcher, that I thought I loved watching pitch. Um, he went to LSU. We still have one of our starters that's in the transfer portal. He hasn't pulled back out or announced where he's going. Um, I can't think of the couple. There's a couple others that are left. Now, one took his name out. Uh, the transfer and came back to Bama, so that's a big bat. We got a left-handed bat coming back, so that'll be good. Um, that's about. It. I hope we get. We got yeah. some transfers coming in. Though. I think we got a big hitter from Maryland that I heard just is coming in uh, that he brought with him. He's a big bat, and a guy from Rutgers also a big hitter. So we'll see what happens next year. The SEC has now won the last four College World Series with uh, LSU this year, Ole Miss last year, Mississippi State in 2021. 2020 was canceled due to COVID. And then 2019, Vanderbilt. Uh, I I know it's uh, the day after uh, the season ended, but it's never too early to look ahead. Do do you have a sense, Robbie, of of who is going to be the team to beat next year in, um, in, in the SEC? Uh, I mean, just right now, not knowing where, because you know the transfer portal still open. Yeah. Uh, not knowing who's leaving, who's staying, because you know, I, I'm still confused on the uh, the year they had left for COVID. You know, we had uh, Tommy Seidel, and he was what 26, 27 years old because he had a COVID. He graduated. Do we have any seniors that are going to be left that can have that option? Um, I, I'd have to go back and research. Um, but if, right now, if you're looking at it, I would say. Of course, LSU is going to lose a lot, but they're going to reload as always. But Florida, Aguilera's back. They got, they got our guy. You know, they got Shelton. Um, they got some big bats going to be back there next year. Um, so I, I would say somewhere like Florida, um, Tennessee, all your big guys again, Vanderbilt, Mississippi State. And I would watch out for Mississippi State and Ole Miss. They do not like losing there in baseball, and they've had two rough years. They're going to – both those teams, I think, will be back, personally. Yeah, we need them back, too, because they've been an integral part. And, in fact, uh, prior to this year, they won Ole Miss. And um, Ole Miss won two years ago. Mississippi State won three years ago. All right. uh, You and I differed in our opinions on the interference call there in the first inning. And, of course, Florida fans are saying if it weren't for that call, they probably would have gone and win the game, blah, blah, blah. I uh, don't know about yada yada. I don't know about that. However, here's the way I see it. Uh, by letter of the absolute law, he was outside the baseline. Actually, in this case, I guess it's inside the baseline because he's in the field inside. of play. But when he got about three, what, two-thirds of the way down, he got back into that and he hit the first base. He hit first base with a foot in the middle of the bag. So... I think they were just a little bit too technical. Maybe the call was right according to the rules, but 
I, I, it was an overdue. What did you think? Well, I, I didn't like it. Uh, first of all, it was an off-speed pitch. He got over on his front foot, tried to protect the plate, and he hit a slow driller to the left side. It didn't go up the right side for the catcher to come, and it continued his body weight forward because he tried to fight it off. So the, You know what I mean? So he's already going forward to try to fight it. Planted, yes, he was inside the line, but he made his way back to the middle of the of the base base path. And when he got there, he was nowhere interfering with that throw from the pitcher at all. Like the pitcher was up the line. Like he, no way did that first baseman get blocked by that. And he beat it, and he was in the middle of the bag. I didn't like the call personally because I mean, you, you, his weight carried him forward. Then he came back. So that, I think that was a. That was that was a sensitive call. So yes, he started out inside the line, but he corrected it quickly, and he did not interfere with that throw. He was nowhere in that line and blocked the first baseman at all. So I think it was a bad call. Now whether it turned the game, I don't know about that. Um, it didn't. I'll tell you, it, it did. LSU was going to pound but it. But I, I didn't like the call. Yeah, that, twenty-four hits wasn't going to stop. So. Well, you know, was, the, uh, the, the first first dis- it takes a first displacement of snow to cause an avalanche, right? Uh, yeah, <laughs> <it does>. <laughs> <laughs> Spoken like a true Nebraskan. Yeah, that. <laughs> Although they can't have, an, have they can't have an avalanche in a place that flat. <laughs> What's it going to be? An avalanche <laughs> off the top of a building or something? I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> hey, you can ski in Nebraska. There is some skiing here, believe it or not. What do you got? Just somebody hangs on to the back of a car? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> we've got some big hills. You know, we um, have skiing at Mentone here in Alabama. Yeah. I've never been. Have y'all? No. Nope. All right. Hey, nope, uh, me. you have uh, been outstanding in our uh, coverage of college baseball this year, and we're going to continue to have you on time to time talk about striker talk about your golf tournament and just talk about sports in general but um you want to get out of the construction business you got a place to go man you've really done a great job for us and Lars well, and I thank both you guys and hey, I'll, I'll talk alabama football and basketball all day too so i know a little bit about nothing so yeah <laughs> so, you know i'll talk <laughs> Enjoyed it, Robbie. Have a great Thank afternoon. Thank you. Thanks, Robbie. Thank you, Lars and Matt. Y'all have a great day. Wow. Lars, what's a temp- we're going to do temperature talk and a lot more after this break on Big Noon Spark. From T-Town to the Plains. This is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. Don't miss- Securing the best mortgage possible requires a lender who has knowledge, is trustworthy, and treats customers like family. And no one is better at all of this than the mortgage miracle worker, Haley Sansing. Based right here in Tuscaloosa, Haley Sansing has spent decades working in the mortgage industry. With Haley, it's personal, holding your hand from contract to close. With Haley, it's about one thing, you. 
Call Haley on her cell. Yes, her cell. 205-792-1813. That's 205-792-1813. Let Haley help you. NLMS number 230376. And people from Jersey say when they are asked, where are you from? And they say New York. Okay. No, you live in Jersey. I don't care if you work in New York. Like if you, the the only way you can say you live in New York, in my mind, is is you either live in Manhattan or one of the boroughs uh, and and not, New Jersey doesn't count. Uh, Westchester doesn't count. Westchester County, which is north of New York City. Uh, Long Island doesn't count. Uh, because See, hey, only because an egomaniac it, New well, Yorker would say that. I know, but the thing is, it's the, 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 you know how much more expensive it is to live in the city? So it's a much more of a struggle Again, for, those of us, for those of us who aren't rich. It's hard to make it in, in the city. Uh, and, and look, it's, it's expensive everywhere. I get it. But uh, Manhattan is just a little bit, little bit more. But maybe, maybe it's an ego thing. I, I don't know. I, I, I've, I've never really thought of it because I've never been on the other side of it but uh, yeah I mean it's just an easy way if you live there long enough you know pretty much where every street is in the in Manhattan and uh, it's an easy way just to identify exactly where you lived I mean I knew down to the building what exactly where she was talking about and uh, and I think she knew exactly what I was talking about as well and so you know, and there's a big difference between you know some uh, a West Sider and the East Sider. Uh, somebody who lives in the Village, West Village versus East Village. If you live downtown, if you live midtown, it, it, it all means something. If you live there, I'm telling you, like you could tell a lot about a person about where they live in Manhattan. That's it. That's all. And, the, yeah. That's all. That's all. I've the, never, I've never heard people from any other city in the United States of America speak that way. Have you? I mean, it, well, it is. It's, it's like, it's kind of like saying instead of giving we, like in Birmingham, we, we don't just say we live in Birmingham, right? We say, say the, the neighborhood or the city. You know, you and I live in Vestavia. Or is it Vestavia Hills? We've had that discussion. Um, it's Hills. I don't think I, my it's my I always get mail that just says Vestavia. I don't get it, but uh, Mountain Brook. I mean, these are all little towns, right? Yes, they are literally little cities. 30, so, 40,000 So they don't factor into the population of Birmingham. They no. factor into the population of the metropolitan Birmingham yes. area. Yes. Yeah. And do you know do. what the population is of the metropolitan? I, think if you stretch it maybe 1.2 million something like that but that may include some of the other markets so that may be a uh, tv yes. deal yeah I'm not sure. what did I'm, it say I'm, uh yeah so if you uh in the metro area it is 1.15 million and the city of birmingham um is uh 200 209 there's 210,000 basically um but yeah the metropolitan area is 1.15 mil so how many people uh we'll stop playing this city's geographic trivia here in a minute but how many people live in Tuscaloosa can you look at well, I would say uh, like 70 
75,000? Yeah, that's what like I that? would have said, but it is uh, just north of 100,000. Okay. 100,618 as of 2021 census. Wow. Um, and, man, it gets hot in Tuscaloosa. Got a story of how hot did it get back from my days when you know, I was uh, it, it at does the seem, University of Alabama. It has it, it seemed to me, Matt, that Tuscaloosa gets more severe weather than Birmingham. Uh, it also gets hotter. It, yeah, yeah it's, it seems like I it. I, I, don't, I don't know why. And lately, though, it's a, been calming. Yeah. For some reason. But um, what sales increase dramatically when it gets this hot? The answer to that question and more coming up on Big Noon Sports presented by Haley Sensing, Union Home Mortgage. CC Sports, like Kudzu on the roadside. This is Big Noon Sports. Town Square Media. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. Mostly sunny and hot this afternoon. The high today in the middle 90s, around 95. Fair tonight, below 68. Tomorrow and Thursday, partly sunny both days, but just a few isolated storms around. The high tomorrow, 96. The high Thursday, 99. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 90 degrees in Tuscaloosa. You're listening to Big Noon Sports. Matt Coulter, Lars Anderson. Hello to Sepp, our producer there in Tuscaloosa. Lars, what do you think is an item that sells more when it gets this hot? It's a very broad question. I'll just give it a shot, and then I'll tell you. Uh, window air conditioning units. Fans. Oh, fans. Fans would be another one. Did, yeah. Didn't you tell me that they sold out of fans and then they were on the black market like four times? <laughs> yes. When you yes. had power outage in New York? <laughs> yes. Wow. Oh. Ice cream. Ice cream. You scream. We all scream for ice cream. Ice cream sales go up. I don't think that surprises anyone. It goes up in the summer anyway. But uh, you an ice cream guy? I am. I love ice cream. And I love just uh, vanilla I'm plain, plain Jane when it comes to ice cream. Just love, love, love vanilla. How about you? So that's, if if I ask you your favorite flavor, you would say vanilla. I'd say vanilla, yeah. Most, most people say something like, okay, my kids used to eat something called cookie dough. It was way <laughs> too much for me, way too sweet for me. But um, I alternate back and forth. I love strawberry and I love peach. I'm, I'm a big fruit guy. I've always love fruit any time of the year but and right now watermelon and cantaloupe so sweet okay i'm getting off on another tangent sorry about that but no do you like um your ice cream dressed up do you eat banana splits with chocolate oh, strawberry yeah. and vanilla yeah absolutely have you yeah. got a go-to ice cream place uh no it used to be dairy queen but uh no the dairy queen i went to in Cahaba heights is no longer there so uh i do not do you uh, yeah, there's a Brewster's uh, between you and me here in Vestavia. Yeah, yeah that's And then one stuff. out there where the kids, uh, and could, they make that on site. Did you know that? Uh, I didn't. Because my, my daughter, Madison, when she was like 16, she worked there. And uh, I can't imagine 
working there and not gaining tons of weight. But she's a smart kid. She didn't. But, no, she'd be in the back. You know, they had these big vats, and you dump this amount and this amount, this fruit, this mix, and they make it up right there in the back. And I'm a big soft-serve guy. Is that why you like Dairy Queen? I like the yeah. stuff that comes out of the machine and swirls. Yeah, me too. Um, yeah, I love soft. soft. Yeah, absolutely. Love everything about it. Um, hey, you know, I, I did want to ask you, and uh, I know this topic has been uh, hit before and is, is being discussed different places in, in the, the sort of the SEC world. But what, what do you think? Is the SEC more dominant in college football or college baseball? Because since 2000, 15, the SEC has won 15 college football national championships. And since 2000, the SEC has won 10 baseball national championships. And uh, out of those, all of those schools, it, it's five schools have won 15 of the, of the national football championships. That's Florida, Auburn, Alabama. Uh, I'm sorry, it's, it's only four because it's Florida, Auburn, Alabama, LSU, Georgia. And uh, in baseball, it's been Vandy, South Carolina, Florida, Mississippi State, Ole Miss, LSU. So what do you think? If, if you want to win a national title, do you have a better chance if you're in the SEC moving wow. forward in the next few years to do it playing football or playing baseball? I would say playing baseball, but I think the overall, the kind of the general consensus is that um, the SEC owns college football. And, and you just said 15 of the national championships in this century have been won by Southeastern Conference teams. But as far as it, with, with the ease in which, and, and that's a tough word to use when you play 70 games a year try and win uh, a national championship as LSU did. But I think the proof is just in the last three years who's won the national championship. Um, LSU, of course, as you mentioned, they've been there, done that, and gotten several T-shirts. They've won seven overall. Uh, but then the year before, it was Ole Miss. And the year before that, it was Mississippi State. Neither one of those teams even made it to Hoover, Alabama, to play yeah, in the SEC baseball stat. tournament. Yeah. So, I, I, you know, I, I think there's, there's strength and balance, if you will, uh, in baseball. I don't know. All right, now let me throw one right back at you. This is a good topic. Um is the SEC uh, more likely to win a national championship? Are there more teams that can win it in baseball or football? Ooh, I would say baseball. Yeah. Wouldn't you? I mean, given the fact that the two teams that have won it uh, in the last two of the three in the last three years, right? They didn't even make it to Hoover. Right. So that shows you the the, the, the parity in the conference. And uh, I, I would say like right now, you know, if you just look at the, in football, who is really capable of winning a national championship this coming year? And I would say Alabama, Georgia, LSU. Yep. That's that exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. Um, and you said they, this two years it, ago that Brian Kelly was going to make a difference at LSU. Yeah. I agreed, but I didn't think it'd be as fast. Yeah. I think they're going to be um, 
they're going to be in the discussion for a national champ. They'll, they'll be in the discussion for the playoffs, I think. Uh, they're going to be very, very good this year. Um, and, of course, with Alabama and Georgia, it's going to come down to quarterback situation. And both uh, both teams are going to be starting new quarterbacks. So uh, we'll see where that goes. But, yeah, I, I think just because I, I, it feels like the conference is deeper in baseball than in in football. I agree. Um, that, uh, yeah, I, I think it, so it would be more likely that an SEC baseball team would, would emerge and win next season or end the season beyond that. Just think about this. Um, Ole Miss wins a World Series, doesn't even make the tournament, the SEC tournament the next year. Would that like be the equivalent of Georgia winning a national championship and then failing to make a bowl the next year? That's a major drop. Yeah, that is. Yeah, um, that's really surprising. You don't see that very often. A team just uh, goes south that that quickly. But um, hey, I just I I needed just to cap off my uh, the losing the lights story in Manhattan in New York City when power went out. So after I get out of the subway, it's just mass chaos uh, out on the streets because all of the um, stoplights are out. And so what happens is homeless guys <laughs> started directing traffic. And I'm not kidding, because there, no one else knew what to do, everybody obeyed what the homeless guys were saying. Stop, go, turn left. I mean, it was incredible. This one guy, it was like he was directing a symphony and he was born to do it. I, I loved it. <laughs> I, you've seen those police officers that do that, particularly yeah. in Europe, that have a real style and motion and dance <laughs> that they do. But I can't... Guy in a old beat up overcoats out there directing traffic and who knows what else. He's, hey, he's we, got the power. He's got the power. Um, Birmingham sports fans, Alabama fans from Huntsville to Tuscaloosa to Birmingham, all parts will know the name Greg Scrooge. Yes, it's an interesting it's an interesting name. But he's joining us next hour to talk sports, media, and all. Uh, that'll be a whole lot of fun. You're listening to Big Noon Sports. We're I'm going to break for halftime. Securing the best mortgage possible requires a lender who has knowledge, is trustworthy, and treats customers like family. And no one is better at all of this than the mortgage miracle worker, Haley Sansing. Based right here in Tuscaloosa, Haley Sansing has spent decades working in the mortgage industry. With Haley, it's personal, holding your hand from contract to close. With Haley, it's about one thing, you. Call Haley on her cell, yes, her cell, 205-792-1813. That's 205-792-1813. Let Haley help you. NLMS number 230376. A town square media station. WTUG HD2 Northport. W265CG Tuscaloosa. Tide 100.9. And streaming on the Tide 100.9 app.
This is Big Noon Sports, presented by Haley Sansing, Union Home Mortgage. Matt Coulter along with Lars Anderson. Lars, uh, other than the baseball College World Series, which LSU won by pounding the Gators 18-4, to Gators jumped out to a 2-0 lead, and then I think they scattered something like three hits over the rest of the game. Just brilliant pitching by Thatcher Hurd and the bullpen as uh, LSU wins its seventh national championship there. Uh, so that's the lead story, but man, everything else is way below the fold as we have become to use this <laughs> phrase all. Yeah. Um, one thing that uh, I thought was interesting is uh, it was just announced that in the uh, 2024 Paris Olympics, uh, alcohol is going to be banned. And uh, that's not something that you would normally associate with Parisians uh, who, uh, you know, they, they enjoy the, the sweet things in life, let's say. Uh, but They drink a um, lot of wine. Yeah, but it, it, it's interesting. But this is not going to apply. This only applies really to the average fan. The average fan is going to have to make do with soft drinks and water. But VIPs... Can quaff champagne. They can do whatever they want. They can do uh, jello this, shots at the Olympics. <laughs> yes, in, in Paris. Um, but yeah, so this is a part of a, it's called Evans Law, and that's been in place since 1991 in France, and uh, it, it bans alcohol from sale to the general public inside stadiums uh, in France. And uh, the Olympic Games uh, did not seek an exemption. Uh, I don't know if that was on purpose or what, but uh, the law, the, this law, again, Evans Law in, in France, it allows for an exemption for 10 events per organizer per year per municipality. Uh, okay, that's a that's a mouthful of a sentence, but um, yeah, they did not uh, they did not apply for that. So um, no alcohol this year at the Olympics, and uh, uh, just from you know the the Olympics that I covered uh, in Rio, um, alcohol was a very much a part of the experience there uh, for fans and and uh, others and I, I'm a little surprised uh, by this that that uh, the uh, IOC didn't apply for um, an exemption for the Olympics uh, but really because so of what all, all the money they're losing yeah and it, it I, I it must it must cost quite a bit to try to get this exemption, but uh, yeah. So only only the VIPs are going to be allowed to uh, to drink alcohol in their private suites or areas or you know what have you. Sounds Your like an elitist. Sounds like an <laughs> elite society where there's the upper class and then there's everybody else. And I started thinking, you know, that's really not right. I think about. Yeah. College football stadiums have been doing this for decades. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, before they allowed beer sales, the only place you could have a drink was in the luxury suites with the with the yep. the liquor that you provided. Now they didn't sell it, but you brought your own. So, in a way, I really can't pound on Paris too much because uh, we in America have been doing that at football games for quite some time. Yeah, and. Um 
Yeah, uh, the, uh, the rugby world championships, which were held in, are held in France, they negotiated an exemption. Uh, so I don't know. Uh, yeah, no alcohol. That's the bottom line. How, how, how do you think, uh, and, I, and I know that you and I haven't done like a deep dive on this, but how do you think that alcohol sales in um, not, not just Bryant Denny, but throughout different stadiums in the SEC, how do you think that has worked out so far? I hadn't heard anything to the contrary. To be honest yeah. with you, I hadn't heard anybody say, hey, it's great. Uh, um, I, I think a lot of people still just choose to bring their own and figure out a way to get it in. That's the old-fashioned way. That was the fraternity way, Lars. That's the way we did it back in my day. So <laughs> I don't know if it's made a big difference. I, I haven't even read anything uh, as to the numbers. Uh, how much are they consuming? Yeah. You know, uh, it you? was such a, it was, no, I, I haven't. And it was such a big deal uh, four years ago when um, that uh, it was at the SEC Spring Meetings in Destin that it came out that uh, that the SEC was going to allow uh, schools to sell alcohol in their stadiums for football. And um it was uh, it went into effect of uh, let's see August of four years ago, of uh, 2019, and in uh, right away LSU went all in, Georgia went all in, Tennessee went all in, and I think after seeing the the money that it generated, uh, then then other schools sort of uh, followed in line. But no, there really there hasn't been any like deep dive follow up pieces as far as I can tell uh, in uh, about the, the alcohol and in in, the, in in purchasing it in the stadium issue. Uh, but it was so big when it came out. And, uh, and I know that, uh, that the city of uh, Tuscaloosa and Mayor Maddox, they had to work some things out with the, with the University of Alabama and athletics department to get sort of extra security uh, around Bryant Denny and, and, and different things had to be ironed out because uh, I, I, I believe if I remember correctly that Mayor Maddox sort of wanted a, a couple of uh, you know some some help to pay uh, cover costs With when security. it comes to policing yeah, it. Yeah, among other things. Yeah, yeah. But again, there's there's some studies that have been done that said like you know binge drinking actually goes down if you allow alcohol sales. So, in in, in a way, it could you know actually be a benefit rather than a detriment but i i don't know if it's really had any impact at all i still you know students talk tell me all the time about smuggling you know alcohol into brian denny and and the best way to do it are still the you know there's there's a the tried and true ways matt and i'm sure you know about them uh <laughs> of how students get alcohol into oh, the stadium not unbelievably not, creative yeah not just at brian denny but at stadiums across the country yeah we don't just want to single alabama out but <laughs> i swear i think this is true but this is at legion field back in the day i think that if you were caught, you know, if you had just had a fifth stuck in your pocket and they just could notice it. Because they really didn't. It's not like they frisk you. If it wasn't visible, they didn't care. Well, not care, but they didn't do anything about it. 
But a friend of mine, his was visible. And so they pulled him out of the line going into Legion Field and gave him like the equivalent of a little ticket. And they took his bottle of bourbon away, but they gave him this ticket. They tore off the other half and he could pick it up when he left. <laughs> you ever heard of such a thing? Or was that guy no. just BSing me? I don't know. <laughs> I've never heard of that. Yeah. It's pretty funny. Uh, <laughs> hey, I know I sprung this guest on you, and you don't know him, but Greg Screws is one of my oldest, dearest friends in the in the business, and uh, we worked together. A lot of people remember when he was at Channel 13. He's now an anchor up in Huntsville, all-time great guy. Man, some stories and some observation from Greg Screws when we get back on Big Noon Sports. Best sports talk in Alabama. This is Big Noon Sports. Missing their clothing around town on game days, but check out Christopher Mobley on the Strip. It's luxury game day apparel redefined. It's the only place in town where you can find Todd Hoops apparel. Clothing designed for the modern day entrepreneur, golf enthusiast, and athleisure fanatic. They've got Peter Millar, Viore, Grayson, and Miz and Main. And if you haven't tried the Miz and Main dress shirts, you've got to. You can find them at 1410 University Boulevard on the Strip. Also, they've got a great e-commerce site at ChristopherMobley.shop. So check out Christopher Mobley, luxury game day apparel redefined. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. Mostly sunny and hot this afternoon. The high today in the middle 90s, around 95. Fair tonight, below 68. Tomorrow and Thursday, partly sunny both days, with just a few isolated storms around. The high tomorrow, 96. The high Thursday, 99. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 91 degrees in Tuscaloosa. on Big Noon Sports, presented by Haley Sansing, Union Home Mortgage, Matt Cooper, Lars Anderson, Seps Manning the Ship, joined by Greg Screws, a longtime broadcaster. We went to Alabama at the same time, and then we worked together for, I think, 10 or 11 years uh, at uh, Channel 33 in Tuscaloosa, and then at 13, and he's now an anchor for WHNT. Channel 19 in Huntsville. Greg, we haven't done this in a long time, so let's just let it fly. How you doing? <laughs> I'm doing great. <laughs> I, just, I, have you explained to Lars that the only reason we're talking on the radio is that we both did research and the statute of limitations has run out on a lot of stuff? Uh, so, so we're good to go. We're good to go. <laughs> Wait well, a minute. I, yeah, says who? <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, we could start with a three-beer monster, but that was just a, a name we came up with and how we started our evenings back when we were working hard and playing real hard. But uh, let's get into some stories in a minute. But I, I want, first of all, a lot of people in our listening area, which we're uh, streaming everywhere, uh, would like to know what you're doing now. You're you're a news anchor, correct? Not sports anymore. But you've been no, a news anchor I, for 20 years. I know. And let me tell you what, that, that shocked me as much as it does a lot of people. Um, but, you know, it, it started uh, when I was at, I worked at 31, the ABC affiliate in Huntsville. And, you know, my daughter, Emily, as you know, Matt, was a, a really good basketball player. So she was getting ready to go into high school. And, you know, sports people work really bad hours. I mean, sports people work too hard. And 
and I was trying to, I was really stressing over how I was going to get to all her games. And about that time, our news anchor on our morning news at 31 left. And I kind of thought, well, there might be an opportunity there because that way, if I work the morning shift, which means you go in at three in the morning and get off at noon, I would always, I would never have to worry about getting any of her games. But now there's some there's some humor in that, Matt, because you know that working the hours, you know we're sports people, we're mostly not out, and um, so there was a culture change for me. But it's worked out. I tell people all the time, I'm the luckiest guy in the world, and uh, I got out of it a little bit. Um, I got out in 2004, and uh, for 17 months I worked at United Way, and then I got back in, and I just thought if I if I get back in, if I get back in a TV station and I get back in the news, I'm going to really pick my spot. And it was WHNT, and it could not have gone better. I, I, I'm serious. I'm the luckiest guy in the world, and um, and I'm having a great time. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm like you. I'm I, sometimes when I see how old I am, I go, Lord, how did that happen? But I'm having a blast, and it's, uh, you know, it's um, it's just not where I anticipated I would be at this point. But I could not be luckier or happier. You mentioned uh, working at the United Way. Uh, what was that experience like? And ultimately, what what drew you back into uh, the the uh, the media the business? Hole. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I tell people it's like the third Godfather movie when Michael says, "I try to get out, and they pull me back in." Uh, <laughs> that was it exactly. So. Um, but first, the first part of your question, United Way, was 17 invaluable months for me uh, because what I realized was what I did not know about my own community. Um, and I learned a great deal about my community, which then, in turn, I was able to use when I got back into television. So that was the big thing, was uh, what I learned about how hard people have to struggle sometimes just to make it. Um, as far as getting back in, so... When I was was at 31, I interviewed for a job in Montgomery at WSFA, and I did not get the job, but the news director at the time, we stayed in touch. And then she got hired at 19, and it was so funny, because I'm sitting at United Way, I'm working a 40-hour week, I've got a big office, um, and uh, she calls me up, and she goes, I need some help. I need you to come work for me. And I said, please don't call me. Don't please. I don't, I'm not going to come. I'm not going to come work for you. And a month later, she called up and she goes, "I have a spot for you, and they need you to start on like a certain date." And the next thing you know, I'm in. <laughs> but, and, and here, and here we are. They made um, you an offer you couldn't refuse. Oh my goodness, that was oh, sorry. it. Uh, but I, uh, <laughs> but like I said, it's, it's worked out. I mean, it's. Uh, uh, and I, I truly thought if I ever get back into television news, I was going to pick my spot really carefully and I think I did that because 19s are really it's a good place and good people and uh, general manager's great and I just um, uh, I'm I'm happy and I'm glad and your community is better off for having you there because that's not all you do and uh, I've always appreciated that about you Lars well, uh, just FYI uh, Greg and I were uh, tandem in NASCAR throughout the 80s Mm. And we went to what ten straight Daytona 500s, something like that. At least, at least, and at least. We had a great, fantastic. we had a great news director, Tom Roberts, and he would let allow us to. 
get a condo. We got a two-bedroom condo on the beach. To stay. Now, we worked our butts off, but it was for a week. Yeah. But I just, I wonder in all that time, and, and of course, we covered Talladega. And let's start with this one. Let me tell the story. <laughs> I'll let Greg end it. Okay. Greg had been at Channel 13 in the sports department, news department for maybe six months. And Bobby Allison was about to win the NASCAR championship. And, of course, we covered the Alabama gang like we covered Alabama football. Uh, we went, they went. Uh, but our regular sports photographer, David Morris, could not make the trip. We flew our helicopter to Atlanta, which was the end of the season race. We flew it over there, and it was Greg's first race ever in his life. Ever. He never went to BIR, HIR, any of that stuff. So he was instructed, set up your camera on the roof in Atlanta and just shoot a few laps, wreck happens, shoot the aftermath, get a shot of all of our guys, Neil Bonnet and Hutch Strickland and, and Bobby Allison, get shots of them and you just kind of wait till something happens. Well, 40 laps in, something happened. There was, a, there was a large wreck and I said, just get shots of the cars and the wreck. He, he got that. And then they went back. Of course, they're under yellow. Then they go back to green, and all the cars, of course, had gathered together again. And I said, that's what they do. A caution flag, the field comes back together. And he said, like the guys in last place suddenly get to be at the very end of the pack? And Greg said, what? That doesn't seem fair. <laughs> It doesn't. <laughs> I mean, that, you know what? That's a valid question. Exactly. I spent 15 years on the NASCAR B for Sports Illustrated. I should have devoted like a whole column just to that question. Like, what is going on with these cautions? <laughs> well, here's, here's the other thing about that day. is I remember Matt comes to me because, you know, we really want to go to this event. Or are you well? It wasn't really on my radar as much. Matt really wanted to go to the event. The sports people really wanted to go, and I, I can't remember why. Because this is something David would have, Morris would have been all over, but I can't remember why he, he couldn't go. But but I remember I did tell Matt, "Do not assume I know what I'm doing." <laughs> I have never seen this. And here's my here's my only experience with NASCAR up to that point was my dad uh, talked about. A day that he went to he went to the early days of the Atlanta Motor Speedway, and it was a day where it was hot. Then they had thunderstorms and delayed. Then the sun comes out, baking everything in the steam. And he and and for him, that was like a level of hell. I mean, he could not wait to leave there and get out of there, and he never went back. So that's all I'd ever heard. So I was, and this was back before every single thing was on camera. So basically, what we shot, what our story was. And the one thing I remember is Matt kept pointing out, okay, this, as we get up, you know, we get 50 laps left and 60 laps left, we keep saying these, these, there's something we need to really focus on these cars. And I go, well, shoot them all the way around and what we could. And so Matt, with Matt's help, and I forget who the driver was, Bobby's tracking this dude down, and all of a sudden there's a little puff of smoke and he shakes, a little puff of smoke and he shakes and the engine blew and Bobby passes him. And... Um, and Neil Bonin ended up winning that day. And mm -hmm. but but Bobby passed the guy he needed to pass to stay ahead for the championship. And because Matt was helping me out, we got that little moment there. Whereas you know, I I wouldn't I never would have got it on my own. But as Matt knows, I truly became to I truly came to love racing of all kinds. And 
basically largely on that day. Now, I'm not going to tell you that I sit and watch every lap now because I just got other, I got grandkids. You know, I got other stuff going on. And, and, I, and actually, I'm, I'm not sure the race, this is just my opinion. Y'all can disagree. I'm not sure the racing is as good now as it was, as it was then because, because the cars handle so good now. You know, the cars, they're just, and man, the engines, so the good. motors don't blow much anymore. Yeah, either. motors don't blow up and all that. So, uh, but I, 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 I have Matt to thank for my love of racing. Well, is there, is there, um, is there one story over the years that, that sticks out to you? Maybe an enterprise piece that you did uh, as a, that would qualify as most memorable, either in sports or out of sports? You mean that Matt and I did? Uh, just or just that you did just uh, just a just a story that you worked on that that has stuck with you over the years. Well, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a good one. Uh, real, I'll try to don't let me screw up your time, and I don't, I don't want to mess your time up. But so you know, everybody says, well, I was there when Bobby hit the fence in Talladega, or I saw, um, you know, I saw Bo go over the top, or you know, or um, you know. Lawyer Tillman go over the top and Tiffin Spill go and all that. To this day, the greatest single sports story I think I ever covered was the 3A Girls Basketball Championship uh, in like 1987 between Pell City and Hartsville. And I grew up in Hartsville, Lars, so it, you know I knew a lot of the people. But what made that show made that game so special was Hartsville's best player was the daughter of Pell City's head coach. And the family, like a lot of families do now, they split up and they went, you know, they, they moved to different parts. And Larry Slater was the head coach who later uh, went to Wallace State and won a zillion games. But um, it was one of these, you know, a father competing against a daughter, which I can't imagine. I have a, you know, I have a daughter. But that day, there was this little seventh grader who was so good. She started on the basketball team as a seventh grader and she hit a shot to win it at the buzzer. Um, and on that day, on that night, I feel like women's sports in Alabama were born. Um, and also, that was important. But just the drama of this guy competing. And so the father wins. You know, the father wins this championship game. And his daughter is wrecked and in tears because they've gotten beat on a buzzer, buzzer beater. And I just remember, I mean... It was just a different kind of emotion. Uh, it was just a different feel. I mean, I know we, I know we're football centric around here, and we've seen some great things with football. But that when somebody says, "What's the greatest? What's the story you still remember extremely vividly?" and that's that's it. No, I'll tell you one thing. I'll tell you one. Matt and I won an award for it real quick. Uh, okay, so when the movie Days of Thunder came out, so <laughs> they had the trailer come out, you know, and mm-hmm. they had this thing where. Uh, uh, it was the thing where you know I had Robert Duvall going. Uh, I'm gonna go buy him on the outside, you know all that stuff. So Matt and I uh, put a story together, and we actually won an AP award for that. Uh, but uh, but Matt, let me tell you something. Matt and I did have fun. We did get out and meet a lot of people and see a lot of people. And sometimes we got in a little late, but we were there when the <laughs> bell rung. And uh, nobody was better than us at Talladega or Daytona. Nobody, absolutely nobody. You know that uh, 3A uh, girls basketball story. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it was uh, it was covered by a lot of media, 
in the state of Alabama. And I think you and Ken did the story, Ken Lass, and it won an award. I'm pretty yeah, sure. It won one too. Y'all yeah. won an AP yeah. award there. Yeah. Cool yeah, stuff. it was. Yeah. And, and the other thing I remember about that night was, uh, you know, you had, I mean, the fire marshal must have had the day off because they had the, the officials quit calling inbound. Like, if you're going to throw the ball inbound, because there were so many people, so many people deep around the gym, you couldn't, players couldn't, they couldn't get behind the line, so they just quit calling it. I mean, you know, you'd have nine people, and so the girl, the girl would just back up as far as she could and just throw the ball in, and that's what they, that's what they had to do. And uh, it was a remarkable, remarkable thing. And also, you know, Matt and I got to go to New York City to cover the NASCAR banquet, and uh, that was always great, but... You know, sports, is, as far as local TV stations, really change. You know, we had four for the most part. And then when Matt left, we stayed with three for a while. And, you know, local sports departments now are two people. That's it. So it's, a, if it's that. changed a lot. Yeah, if that, if that, if that. So I feel like I got lucky to be part of the heyday, really, uh, of the 80s and, and Birmingham television. What, what, uh, this is a, this is a hard question to answer uh maybe impossible but what in your estimation is the future of local television news moving forward well if let me just say first of all this is my opinion my opinion only i you know um you know i think the successful stations are going to be and this is you know, a lot of TV people might cringe at this because this is a buzzword that used to get thrown around with consultants a lot. I think you're going to have to be hyper-local. You're going to have to be, I mean, and, I'm, and by hyper-local, I mean, I'm talking about absolutely in your backyard kind of stuff. Um, one of the things that uh, people still flock to their TV to watch before they even pick up their phones is breaking news and weather. I think you have to, I think you absolutely have to own breaking news and weather. I think you have the the one thing I don't think TV the TV news industry generally does not do a great job of is is context and what news means going forward. For example, you know we do a lot of stories about what this bill means in Montgomery and what that bill means and what this bill means. I think we have to do a better job of telling people what this means for them. And one of the challenges with that is, you know, Huntsville, where I am. Huntsville used to be someone's second or even third job. Birmingham used to be somebody's second, third, or fourth job. I mean, now, though, you know, we're both markets really are hiring people out of college. And so we're teaching newsrooms like a teaching hospital. But I think the people that absolutely own their backyards are the ones going to do well. And also, it's the social media world. You have to have a dynamic social media presence as far as getting people when breaking news does happen you've got to have, you got to be dinging their phone with push alerts you've got to be you got you got to own, you got to own that you have to be you know that old that again i know it's a, i know it's a buzzword you have to lean forward you have to lean forward you have to be aggressive um and i think the people that are aggressive and and are hyper local i think 10 years from now those are the ones that are going to be standing standing tall Probably at that point, it won't be my problem anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you know, at my age. So, uh. Uh, Greg, do you have a, a favorite football game or football story? Uh, you and I covered Auburn a lot. Uh, got to know Pat Dye. 
I actually we covered the last two years of Coach Bryant, but uh, boy, I've given a broad base here for you, Craig. But yeah. Any any favorite memories from maybe just let me narrow it down to Pat Dye at Auburn. We cannot tell the New Orleans story. Okay, no, we can't, we can't no. at, uh, across no. the street from Pat O'Brien's because I, I will tell you this: that was back in the day when we were closer in age to the players and the yes. and, and, the co- <laughs> and uh, I, I can say this is statute of limitations. We used to buy them drinks, you know. They buy us drinks. Yeah. We they sit at the same drinks. bar. Um, yeah, that this yeah. uh, uh, Greg escorted one player. I'm not going to say from what team, what universe, back to the hotel. Uh, first, the guy got in the cab, came, get, went out the other side, and Greg didn't know it. Uh, and he was back in the bar. But, I mean, this was back in the day, Lars, where we took care of the players. Yeah. If something was going wrong, media would step in and say, come on, man, don't do that. Get get over here and literally get them out of trouble. So, anyway, I've gone on a, on a really winding road on that. What do you remember quickly about Pat Dye and Paul Bryant? Okay, uh... Well, the thing about Coach Bryant was, you know, everybody used to talk about how he mumbled and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but the thing I used to remember, Lars, now, again, you ma- imagine this with the with the the environment we're in now. I remember one day on one of his weekly news conference or news briefing when he would come in. I remember one day he took a cigarette out of a cigarette pack, lit it, smoked the whole thing, put it out and then started talking, and nobody said a word. We all sat there and watched him smoke a cigarette. <laughs> and uh, that was amazing. And here's my Pat Dye story. And this, okay, this was after I left Birmingham, but this story just so definitive of Pat Dye. It's the best Pat Dye story ever. Do you all remember when Jeff Berger kind of floated the, the pass out in the flats a little too high, and Stacey Danley caught it, and as, as he caught it, the Ohio State linebacker almost decapitated him in the ball oh, game. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I thought he was – I'm watching this from Richmond, Virginia, where I was working. And I later heard people tell this story, and heard, I heard Stacey Danley tell the story. So people thought he was dead. I mean, he just this, – this was before targeting. He just went in. And I, I mean, I thought, oh, my God, they killed Stacey Danley on national television. So he uh, – Pat Dye finally comes out to check on him. <laughs> And he bends over and he's talking to him. And, you know, everybody at home's going, oh, Coach Dye's saying, it's okay, you're going to be okay. And what Coach Dye was really saying, and I'm going to try and do my worst Pat Dye. It's not a great impression, but Coach Dye was going, you better get up from there and don't let these boys know they hurt you. You better get <laughs> up and walk off this field on your own. Okay. Stanley <laughs> gets up, fights off the field. And I'm like, I just, I think that is the greatest Pat Dye story ever. And I think it's the definitive Pat Dye story, you know, as far as how he dealt with players and football and all this. It's like, and you know, if you, that play is on YouTube. If you just type in Stacey Danley almost gets killed, you know, it'll pop up. I mean, <laughs> it's uh, one of the most brutal like, hits I've ever seen in football. Oh my God. And, and when we think just... about what, yeah, when we think about what people get flagged for now, that guy would have been arrested. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. Oh, God, I'm telling you. Crazy. And you clean that up well because uh, Dye talked about it later, and he used the same language, and uh, it was pretty much, you better bang, bang, and yeah. get the sideline. And it turned yeah, the I, entire complexion of the game because Ohio State was handing it to Auburn. 
and it turned around because of that moment. Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, I had to. I paraphrase. <laughs> oh man, tremendous. Oh my, yeah. I'm just seeing the the uh, video of it. Uh, it was yeah, Zach Dumas hitting yeah, Stacey Zach Daniels yeah. in the 1996 Outback Bowl. Holy yeah. cow! Yeah, and I had already, uh, like I said, I was already out of Birmingham by then. But I, I, I was in, I was in Richmond, Virginia. Um, but I, we were talking about this, and somehow this came up in the newsroom last night. And I'll throw, the, I'll throw this at you, and, and again, tell me to stop talking if y'all got to hit a break. But so I got to cover. We're talking about people. All this debate about how the SEC should handle schools when teams rush the field, and the scariest one of the scariest things i've ever been in was when i was in richmond i don't know if people remember when florida state first joined the sec what they i mean the acc what did they go four years and not lose a game something like that in so conference first, play yeah something in like conference that. play in conference play yeah. okay so the first conference game they lost was at virginia on a thursday night when uh virginia had mike grove that was a really good team and the Virginia fans, who are not necessarily known for their robust uh, embracing of enthusiasm, uh, that was the scariest I've ever been on a, on a field. Was uh, when they swarmed that field after beating Florida State that night, and it was crazy. And and the game ended. Florida State did that little delay draw, and Warwick Dunn got to the one, or Florida State would have won that game. But that's I think that might have been the scariest I've ever been on a in a football game, uh, covering one. Yeah, you know what? Matt and I have talked about the storming of the field issue a lot. And I I hate to say it, but I I think something bad is going to happen really, really bad if something isn't done to stop it. And we've we've discussed various ways. But uh, are, are you of that same same belief uh i've had several really bad experiences where you feel like man this isn't going to end well and somehow you sort of get out of it but uh um i i you know i I hate to be a downer on this but are are you in agreement with that yes i do think something bad's going to happen and i think in time i think we've already had some bad things like uh and i'm not talking about players taking a swing at a, at a fan like I was in uh, I was in Knoxville one year when Tennessee fans swarmed the field um, after I believe it was the game they were up 27-13 over Alabama and Tony Robinson brought them back for 28-27 win and a girl when the goalpost came down it, it hit a girl and yeah. it was bad uh, but I guess where I differ from a lot of people is I'm not sure I, the fans don't care. I mean, I, they're always going to storm the field. I don't. I don't think they care. I don't think they care what the penalty is. I don't think they care what how much it costs. I just I I don't know that. I don't think this is a fixable problem. I mean, I I don't. I mean, people may disagree. I I don't know what they're going to do. Um, I don't know. I'm at a loss on that one. Well, if you come up with a good one, please pass it along because I think yours is spot on. <laughs> Some, something bad's going to have to happen before they, I don't know, put up I, nets, hey, put I, up plexiglass. My, just. my, uh, my theory is uh, bring out these big police horses. Surround the perimeter yeah. with horses, and uh, and people like yours truly. You know, you don't want to approach a big horse 
yeah. I, I don't know. I just saw it work at Yankee Stadium, right, when the Yankees won uh, all their championships and it kept fans from coming onto the field. But, yeah, I don't know what the solution is either, and it's probably going to be the, – the solution will probably be arrived at after the fact, right, after something really, yes. really bad has happened. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Absolutely. Uh, Greg, we're both we're pushing a break here, and you've got an appointment in about six minutes. Don't want you to be late for that, but uh, do appreciate you being on, and uh, we won't let it go another year or two before we do it again. Thanks. No, and, uh, I, 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 I appreciate the opportunity. I would love to join y'all anytime. How many grandchildren do you have now? I got two. I got ten years old and seven years old. And I did. I spent the day in Oxford uh, last Friday. My grandson, the youngest grandson, was playing catcher. In the seven and under state tournament, Matt, you would have been proud. Oh man, I love that. I've got grandkids doing the very same thing, and oh, uh, I, uh, uh, grandchildren are worth getting old for. Uh, they are amazing. You're absolutely they right. Are. You're absolutely right. Uh, next time you join us, we'll explain why I often call you Doctor Bones. Uh, let's do that. Let's do that. That's that's next time. Thanks, Greg. See you, man. See, see y'all. Bye. Greg Screws, now WHNT-TV in Huntsville. This is Big Noon Sports, back after this break. This is the Big Noon Sports Network. If you're high... Securing the best mortgage possible requires a lender who has knowledge, is trustworthy, and treats customers like family. And no one is better at all of this than the mortgage miracle worker, Haley Sansing. Based right here in Tuscaloosa, Haley Sansing has spent decades working in the mortgage industry. With Haley, it's personal, holding your hand from contract to close. With Haley, it's about one thing, you. Call Haley on her cell, yes, her cell, 205-792-1813. That's 205-792-1813. Let Haley help you. NLMS number 230376. Dead battery. SEC Sports, like Kudzu on the roadside. This is Big Noon Sports. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. Mostly sunny and hot this afternoon. The high today in the middle 90s, around 95. Fair tonight, below 68. Tomorrow and Thursday, partly sunny both days, but just a few isolated storms around. The high tomorrow, 96. The high Thursday, 99. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 92 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Big Noon Sports, Lars Anderson, Matt Coulter, Seb Shirey at the controls. Appreciate all of you dialing us up. Been an interesting and very, very steamy and hot day. And it's going to, the temperature's going to, it's 92 now. Uh, in a couple of days, it'll be 102 with a heat index of plus 110. Um, I'm going to do a lot of staying inside. If I go outside, I'll just go straight to the pool. But uh, anyway, I was talking about odd things or interesting things that happened at news conferences and one of them, what brought it up was uh, Coach Bryant smoking a cigarette right there with 50 mic flags in front of him. Um, but when I was doing, you did European football. I mean, the, 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 
World League of American Football. I think it changed names when you covered it. NFL Europe, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I was there when Birmingham had the fire, and uh, that's back when I worked with Ken Stabler, and we would go to Europe. And uh, news conferences in Frankfurt, Germany, are much different than they are in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. First of all, they hold it in a bar. Um, second of all, there's beer and bratwurst everywhere. And Jack Elway was the coach of the Galaxy there in Frankfurt. Um, he just kind of comes walking in. And, you know, it is there is like a table and everything set up in like news conference uh, fashion. But uh, he comes in. I could tell he is holding something in his right hand as he was just walking towards the little area where there's a podium. And he pulled it up and kind of slammed it down on the area right there where he was going to speak. And it was a full quart of absolute vodka. (laughs) Wow. And um, he poured himself a nice drink uh, and then proceeded to have his news conference while we ate bratwurst kraut and drank German beer. So I, I would have to say, Lars, that's probably the best news conference I've ever been to in my life. <laughs> yeah, it seemed like everywhere I went in Europe uh, covering the Scottish Claymores when I embedded with the, them for the 2001 season. No, it was the 2000 season. Um at every news conference, just every area, there, there's just free beer. <laughs> I mean, for for uh, the, the the writers, for the for all the reporters, and uh, and and you know, I was traveling around with like the local Scottish reporters. Those guys, I mean, you think American reporters can be uh, can be a little, you know. Uh, like uh, like to have too much fun. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, uh, boy, these Scottish reporters. I, I, I've never seen anything like it. I've never seen anything like the amount of alcohol consumption uh, than the reporters, uh, especially from from Scotland, especially when it was free. <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah, and 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 the crazy thing is, like I swear, this this one guy, I forget his name. He's a really well-known Scottish writer. Um, he would uh, he would show up at, at different venues, right, around Europe, and uh, I, I would he would drink like twenty twenty five beers, and it just seemed perfectly normal. It was incredible. It was like he was like the Wade Boggs of uh, Scottish reporters. <laughs> but uh, awesome. um, yeah, uh, I'll tell you that one of the, the I don't have a, a similar uh, press conference story, but the, the most bizarre sort of one on one interview I ever did was with uh, Dusty Baker. And I don't know if I told you this story before. Yeah, Matt. you have, but just yeah, people but don't change your dial. This is an interesting and <laughs> it's, funny it, story. Yeah, so Dusty Baker, he's now the manager of uh, the Houston Astros. And, you know, he's a baseball lifer. And I think he was the manager. Yeah, he was the manager of the Giants at the time. And I went out to, uh, to Phoenix where the Giants uh, were holding their spring training. And and uh, I think I was working on a story on Bonds. I don't remember, but 
uh, had a, a one-on-one with Dusty in his office. And we're like, I don't know, about six, seven, eight minutes into what's going to be like a half hour interview. And he just, at one point he's talking and he does not stop. He does not pause. He does not uh, even, he's still, he's got the toothpick in his mouth, everything. Uh, It's full Dusty Baker. He just, he just leans to the side and lets it rip. (laughs) <laughs> just lets it rip. And uh, I was just like, wait, did that just happen? And then about, I don't know, four or five minutes later, same thing. And again, not even acknowledging it, but just doing it and like feeling good about it. And I didn't know what to, to make of all of this because I was so uh, just utterly perplexed and uh, by this unprecedented, you know, flow of events here. And, uh, and so it just, it really caught me off guard. And I, and to this day, I don't know if he was just saying, hey, I'm Dusty Baker and I can do this and I don't care what you think or, or what, but it, it was just utterly bizarre, Matt, utterly bizarre. I, uh, I, I think it's the ease in which he did it when you described <laughs> yeah. it that, that would either, uh, I don't know, concern or uh, intrigue me. I think both. But uh, I cannot imagine a situation where somebody would do like that. I mean, maybe so try and hide no, like, it. Excuse maybe. me? Oh, yeah. No, but he, he like, owned it. But right? he, did, like, he do a one, <laughs> did he do a one-cheek thing where he Yes, he did. He did. Both times. I think he leaned a different way each time. That was even more perplexing. (laughs) That's to get the whole room, I guess. Uh, uh, I have a really gross question, but I'm not going to ask it. Yeah, no, don't ask. Uh, The answer is yes. I like that story. Yeah, I'll bet it did. I'll bet it certainly did. Um, But as I said, the ease in which he did that and having absolutely no problem doing it in front of somebody he's never known in his life uh, and it's actually ha- has pen in hand, can write bad, good things about Dusty. Uh, it doesn't matter. But, you know, I always liked him as a manager. Um, I really liked him as a player, except when he was with the Dodgers, but he was with the Braves. Um, I think he is a – he man, you talk about lifers. That's exactly what he is in the yeah. world of baseball. Yeah, I mean, he is – he's been around for – he's been around since I was a little kid, right? And he's still yeah. – um, he's still really at the top of his game, you know. Uh, you look at the Astros right now, uh, where they're sitting at, they're 42 and 36. But his career record as a manager, 2,135 wins, 1,826 losses. That's a winning percentage of 53.9, so 54. And uh, it's it, it, just an incredible run that he's had as a manager. Um, and he, he started managing what, like back in 1993, I think? Or I, I'm not even sure when he, when he started managing, but he, he's been, he's just been around forever. Uh, and I, I always liked him as a player too. I don't know what to think of him still to this day after. I wouldn't that, either if that, I'd that, gone that, through that, that experience. That, that little episode. Uh, but yeah, never, 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 never thought anything like that would happen. You know, it's just, it, and, and it's it's funny when you're when you're doing what we do, Matt, and you're out on the road, and I swear 
something different happens to you every single day when you're out interviewing people or just trying to get from point A to point B. You know, you're just trying to navigate, right? Everything that has to be uh, figured out that comes with reporting and talking to people and talking to people who you don't know and being in places that you're not familiar with. Just so much happens to you and it's like you don't even realize it at the time. But, but yeah, Dusty Baker, that's my Dusty Baker story. The one thing I have maintained throughout my blessed career in sports broadcasting is that every single day you wake up is a blank canvas. And there's nothing from one day to the next. Now, stories will carry over, but the the schedule changes. You're, you know what? Your office might be at a 3A basketball game one night. And the next night... You might be at Alabama's football practice. Uh, I've always loved that because I just don't ever think I could be a nine to five guy. Yeah. I tried it. I hated it. No, me I too. Hated it. Me too. Uh, All right, Lars. It's, it's a lot of fun. Tomorrow we'll uh, move Jay Sternberger up because they're going to Canton to play for the championship of the USFL, and also Martin Newton. CM's son, who's now the athletic director at Samford, is going to join us with an amazing athletic story. Y'all have a great afternoon. Be safe, everybody.